I see so much potential in the North for Indigenous guides. And if you've been listening to the whole podcast, Indigenous people have the tools and techniques and knowledge and the heart to be guides. Yeah, I just see young people who are so inspiring and so smart and knowledgeable. And I'm hoping that you know, Dinjuju Adventures uh, in the future that we can uplift and hire Indigenous guides to be on river trips and leading them. Hey everyone, welcome to Venture Out, a podcast series from Entrepreneur that shares the brave stories of Northerners who are inspiring innovation and community well-being through business. I'm your host, Zena Cowan. We are fires across the tundra. We are ice of a million years. Our mothers, our fathers hold us. We stand together. This is the season one finale of Venture Out, and I am so pleased to introduce today's amazing guest, who's a young Gwich'in woman and a really important active member of our entrepreneur family. She's an alum of our 2019-2020 tourism cohort, and she's a new business owner who's making big waves across the Northwest Territories and the Yukon with her paddling and guiding business, Dingy Zhu Adventures. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Bobby Rose Cooey. She has a remarkable life story, and if you can believe it, she launched her tourism business during COVID. Here's a quick background on Bobby. She comes from a long line of strong Gwich'in ancestors, and she's very proud to be from the vibrant community of Tedleje, town at the headwaters, also known as Fort McPherson in the Northwest Territories. It has a population of approximately 700, and it's home to the Tetlet Gwich'in people who speak the Gwich'in language. It's located on the east bank of the Peel River, and if you ever happen to visit, which I hope you do, be sure to check out their famous tent and canvas shop, which has been around since 1970 and offers everything from world-class canvas tents to custom sewing projects. McPherson, lovingly called McFoo by locals, is located on the Dempster Highway, which is an all-weather gravel road that was completed in 1979. The Dempster connects McPherson to Dawson City and the Alaska Highway to the south and Inuvik to the north. Before the construction of the Dempster and McPherson's small airport, canoeing along the Peel River was the main source of travel. As a young girl, Bobby spent a lot of time on the river with her grandparents and developed a deep love for the water. 
As she got older, she became a strong voice for the protection of the Peel watershed, which is 68,000 square kilometers of rugged northern wilderness, which is the traditional territory of three Yukon First Nations, the Nachonayak Dan, Trondek Gwich'in, and Vuntut Gwich'in, as well as the Tetlet Gwich'in in the neighboring Northwest Territories. For thousands of years, these indigenous groups have hunted, fished, and traveled, and lived through all corners of the Peel watershed. And that's reflected in age-old stories and deep knowledge of the land. For close to 20 years, indigenous governments and conservation groups fought the Yukon government to protect the Peel watershed from mining operations and oil drilling. And the case eventually went to the Supreme Court where the territorial government was found to have ignored its treaty obligations. In 2019, the Peel Watershed Regional Land Use Plan was signed by the Yukon government and the Yukon First Nations of Nachonayak Dan, Trondek Gwich'in and Vuntut Gwich'in, as well as the Gwich'in Tribal Council of the Northwest Territories. The plan recommends for over 80% of the watershed to be protected. And if you want to learn more about the case and what's been happening since that signing, visit protectthepeel.ca. I wanted to share this context before we dive into Bobby's interview, because where she comes from is so core to who she is and what she stands for as a community member, a river guide, and an entrepreneur. Bobby now lives on Kwanlandan and Ta'an Kwachan territory in Whitehorse, Yukon, but she goes back home as often as she can, and her business allows her to travel between both territories quite frequently. She really is a woman on the move, and you'll know what I mean as soon as we hear her story. So let's get into it. Bobby, it's so good to see you over Zoom. I know that we'll have a lot to cover today, so let's just dive right in. Can you introduce yourself and share a little bit about your business, Dinjiju Adventures? Sure. Uh, I'll introduce myself in my language. That way, uh, I feel like my grandparents are with me. Van Guimzi, Bobby Rosequi, Village, Tatla Kuchin, Ifi, Tatla Jaikwijit. My name is Bobby Rose Kui. I am Petlekwichin, which means people of the headwaters, and I am from Fort McPherson. My grandparents are Rosemary and Abraham Kui and Dorothy and Robert Lexi of Petleche. I am the owner and operator and guide for Dinjuju Adventures. Dinjuju Adventures offers river trips throughout the north, 
for community, for organizations, for youth, for guests that are coming into Penor. Tenjuju creates experiences that you wouldn't be able to get anywhere. Tenjuju Adventures, they, we are inspired by the land and the stories of the land and the people of the land. And we just want to offer these river trips that shares those stories with other people and open, open their eyes and hearts to what we have to offer in the North by Indigenous people. Your business is so special and it's come into existence at such an important time in history. And whenever I hear you talk about your work, Bobby, you always reference your family and you reference the land that you come from. Um, so, by the way, that's my dog barking in the background, if you can hear him. Um, so, Bobby, I would love to hear a little bit more about your roots and your childhood. What was young Bobby Rose like? You know, raised in a small community at Fort McPherson um, on the banks of the Pula River. Noting that I was raised by my grandparents right from when I was born. Everybody is kind of raised by their grandparents, but being raised by my grandparents was pretty unique because their parents were still alive and their grandparents meaning that I got to spend a lot of time with my great-great-grandparents and my great-grandparents. And traveling out on the land with my grandparents, like remembering my mom having long, beautiful black hair braided and this beautiful blue parkie on with Wolverine fur. And I'm getting pulled in a little canvas sled across the river to check rabbit snares. But I also got to say, it wasn't always happy moments like you know there was drinking involved and it wasn't easy but one of the places where we always felt where I always felt like 100% was beside my grandparents wherever they were and where they felt 100% was like out on the land so but also being raised in Fort McPherson is really beautiful because <laughs> The people are so kind, and because I was raised by my grandparents um, and knew the older people, I knew the elders before they were elders, uh, and I got to grow up beside them and learn a lot from them, and as I got older and was able to travel uh, with them, they start taking me on all these adventures all over like the north, all over the Gucheng country. I'm pretty fortunate in that way, I believe. I got to see a lot of beautiful places with a lot of beautiful people and hear a lot of stories. And it just got me to love who I am and where I come from more each time I go someplace beautiful. Because each place we went, I was always connected to it, to that area or to that place. Or my grandparents traveled through that area. And I thought... My grandparents were the best teachers ever. Why can't, why can't we have this kind of education within schools? I look back to those days now, and I think of what they've done, like my people and my grandparents uh, around that time, and they really, oh, 
I feel like they really invested in so much of their time in me and got me like all trained up and ready for today to where I am now. I always thought they were picking on me, but like, you know, why weren't they doing this to my other siblings or other community members? But I'm really thankful that they pushed me and was really strict with me back then to like do do as much as I can and learn as much as I can. It's funny how we often don't see that in the moment and it takes being older and having those lived experiences to reflect back differently. Why do you think they were more strict with you and especially committed to teaching you? And what do you think that they saw in you? I think they saw that I was, you know, although I was, I'm really stubborn. I could say that I'm stubborn then I'm stubborn now. Um, I can, I can see that. <laughs> I, I'm always so interested in learning and learning new ways of doing things, but I was always asking questions and I still do. And I think that's what they like. And I was always sitting with them, no matter, like, you know, I, I'd go visit them and spend time with them. Yeah, they're my really good friends, like my grandparents. But I think back then, yeah, I think it's the interest that I had in learning what I can and where I was traveling to, whether it was to Old Crow or Wichita Creek or up into the mountains, like, yeah, all the elders always you know, pulled me aside and talked to me on like, you know, main road. And maybe we stood there for an hour, just talking, telling stories or when we're traveling around. But I think it was more of the interest that they, they saw in me and invest in all their time, most of their time into sharing what they can as much as they can. And um, offering you those opportunities for wonder and adventure and getting to explore, but then also offering you that safety, you know, that safety that we get from our grandparents and great-grandparents, especially when there's other stuff going on um, that's not so great. As a young person, right, you want to, we reach for that safety. Yeah, we, you know, many times I sat like, you know, at night when we lay in a wall tent and we're getting ready for bed, my grandfather will tell me stories. And there was a few times when we were working together, he'll tell me, he'll, he'll be teaching me something. And even back when I was a teenager, he always told me, Bobby, you have to learn this because we're getting you ready. Because hard times are going to come soon. Truthfully, I always thought like, well, why would he be getting me ready? What am I going to do? Like, how am I going to like help our nation get ready for hard times? But every day when we were out on the land or even in community, he'll be sharing something little with me, which meant a lot. And like going back to when I was a teenager, you wouldn't see too much teenage girls around camp, like Hollywood or doing all this other work. Uh, it was always the young guys, and I know kind of felt out of place sometimes, but, you know, he says everybody has to do the work. Everybody has to work together 
to learn everything around camps so that way if you're alone you know how to do everything on your own i think that's so important for young people today because you know some people say oh i don't need to learn that because that's a man's job or that's women's job be like no you have to learn everything or you know we don't have to learn that because we got the internet or we don't have to learn this because you know we we got all these other new technologies today, but a couple of weeks ago in Fort McPherson, the power went out, was on and off for like two to three days. And, you know, what would we do with no power in this world? Like everything will die, but people who had the wood stoves and the knowledge were the ones people were going to. That's, that is so crazy. It's uh, when an elder says that to you and especially when that elder is your grandparent we're preparing you because hard times are coming they're not joking around and it's not just hard times in one sense like in the technological sense or even in the the sense of like there's a pandemic mm -hmm. um it there are just hard times in every person's life um so it's pretty wild to think about them preparing you to become this autonomous adult, this Gwich'in woman who is able to take care of herself and take care of the land and also pass that on to younger people now. And that's a part of your business. You know, they prepared you to step into this role as a guide and as an entrepreneur. And I know that your relationship with canoeing is something that, and paddling, is something that started with your grandparents. Um, and you've said, you know, canoeing traditionally is not about recreation. We don't play around with that stuff. It, it is a way for us to be getting around and taking care of business. Can you talk about how you got introduced to canoeing and how that relationship for you has evolved? When, when I was growing up, we like, yeah, we didn't use the canoe for recreational use. Like, we used it for, like, hunting or trapping or chicken net uh, because we don't play with water, eh? Uh, it's really important that we don't mess around and we respect water all times. So when you're on the water, it's really important to know what you're doing. For a while, I didn't go, like I didn't spend too much time on the water, especially in the canoe and part of my life because my brother, he passed away uh, through water. So it took me a long time to get used to water and like, you know, feeling comfortable around water. Uh, so in 2015, when I went into the Peel, which through a canoe trip organized by SUPAs, uh, we took some paddling training and learned all these different techniques. And then we went on the Wind River for two weeks. There's something special about going into your own territory and paddling waters that were areas that your people once paddled before, um, especially for a young indigenous woman or person who haven't been there their whole life, but only heard stories. So going back into the Peel in 2005, or going back, I can't believe it, I said going back. I always like 
sorry, prior to like going into the Peel watershed, I had dreams of going into the Peel watershed before. And when I was going back into the Peel, it really felt like I was, I was going back, like I'd been there before. And it was really weird, <laughs> but I really grew a lot of respect for the canoe through that journey. I realized how water, how water can be so beautiful and so powerful and just being able to, you know, read water and see how it flows and how it supports the land in many different ways and just everything around it. It was really beautiful and I just fell in love. We, you know, the water took us where we needed to go. We were just steering our way there and yeah. I just fell in love and that summer I learned about guiding and what people do for guiding. And five years later I'm guiding. Hola. Hola. <laughs> and I remember when you applied to the entrepreneur tourism cohort, um, that the way that you talk about having that love for the land and that guiding and paddling and canoeing is a way to get that connection, that was so clear. And really wanting to offer that love that you had discovered to other people, especially Indigenous youth. So I guess after that summer in 2015, you took some big steps to move forward in, in your paddling and also in your guiding practice. Um, I'm curious, at what point did you think, wow, like maybe this is something that I want to do professionally? Uh, you know, after 2015, uh, my friends and I, we, we launched Youth of the Peel. And I was the youth leader on the trip, and we always hired guides to guide us down the Wind River. And, you know, most of the days, <laughs> most of the days, I'd be the one who would be, you know, calling the shots. And those trips put, really put me into a leadership position and made me think a lot. And um, just being on the river those two years, I learned that, you know, I could be a really great river guide. You've got the leadership qualities. Like that was mm -hmm. coming up for you, right? Because being a guide, you have to be able to step into some leadership spaces and take care of your paddlers and let people know what's going on, right? Yeah, as a type of witch and already, we already do that. Like Indigenous people take care of each other. We take care of the land and everything, but... That's not all to, that's not, that's all in guidance as well. Like we're thinking about safety, like logistics, land, like weather, communication. So after that, like second, third year, like a few years ago, uh, after the summer, I was like, you know, I'm going to take this time and I really want to like commit myself to learning more about this guidance life. And I learned that all I needed to do was get my safety certifications because half of everything that I knew that I that was taught to me by my community and grandparents 
I was able to use my guiding light. Um, not to say that I'm not, I'm always still learning. Like my co-guides are like amazing. Uh, and I'm always learning all the time. But the one thing that I had to do to be a river guide is to get my safety certifications. And I have to get it like every two to three years. And now that I'm a business owner, I have to like get other certifications. So I'm always taking every opportunity and time to learn as much as I can. And that's how come I always come home. That's like the most important part of my learning journey is to come back to Fort McPherson and draw myself and to travel anywhere out on the land and learn something from my people. And when we first met Bobby, when you applied to our Entrepreneur Tourism program, I don't think any of us fully realized that you were coming in having just experienced two major losses in your life. The passing of your grandma and then the passing of your dad not long after that. So knowing now how big of a role family plays in your life, I can just imagine how devastated you must have been. And that's a really hard place to be in emotionally when you're trying to build a career and figure out which path to take with your business. Yeah, my dad passed away and that really like tore me into like a million thousand hundred, like so much, like my heart was just broken into so much pieces. Like my, my grandparents and I, we talk about death um, just because, you know, it happens. Um, and they did go through some experiences where they just about died. And, you know, we talk about it, we joke about it. Like, you know, we talk about, what's going to happen or how things are going to go. But then when it happens, you really don't know what's going to happen. And for me, going back home was a huge trigger because I had no home no more. Because my dad was my home and my grandma was my home. And they really broke me into, they really broke my heart. I didn't know what to do. I caught myself phone, trying to phone them all the time, but you know, that was just normal for me to phone them because, you know, my heart is broken, but, and to be honest, I, you know, I drank, I drank and I never drank on my dad's funeral because I read his eulogy. <laughs> he wanted me to read his he eulogy because he told me, he told me, if there's anybody who's going to tell my life story, it's going to be Bobby Rose. <laughs> so I read his eulogy and I feel really honored about it. Um, but uh, after that, I can, like, after he, to be, he passed away, I drank for one whole month. And, you know, that's some, that's a way that some people grieve and, we, I see it around all the time and uh, and something happened like after one month that, you know, I drank, I was sick and I was sorry and uh, my heart was so broken and I, I just sat there and I, I 
with my thoughts and I just thought to myself, you know, my grandma and my dad didn't raise me to do this. They didn't like me drinking. My grandma didn't even know that I drink. And I just jumped up and I said, you know, I'm, I can't do this. I, I, need to, I need to do something with everything that they taught me. And I need to do something bigger than myself and something that would carry what they taught me into the future. And it, I really believe it was like, you know, the, our connection and our relationship that we had between each other really gave me the strength to like actually get up and like to think about what I was doing and to use the power that I have and that they gave me to move forward in a good way because drinking didn't do nothing for me. It made me weak. It didn't let me like be Bobby Rose. After that month, I ended up getting right back to Hypers. It was like I was starting all over again, but I knew that I really wanted to like start a business and I didn't even know where to go. And, you know, online and I seen online here, entrepreneurs was accepting applications. And I was like, do I want to do this? And I applied and ever since then, things have just been falling into place. And even sometimes I think like, do I want to start a business? Well, back then, do I want to start a business or do I want to do this? This is too much. This is more bigger than myself. Like this is too much. But I always think back to like, you know, my grandfather's always tell me who's going to do it if you don't. So every time I said, or I felt like I didn't want to do something, it just keep on, it comes back at me like twice as much and like more opportunities or like grants or, you know, experiences you get those pushes and those nudges and it must it, it's it's wild to feel like even though your loved ones in this case your grandma and your dad have passed away they're still kind of bossing you around <laughs> they really yeah they really believed in me so much like and they loved me so much and I just appreciated that and yeah, my dad, he always told me, tell your stories, Bobby, tell your stories of your travels or your adventures and the people that you got to meet. And my grandma would be like, you know, or she'd be like, how quickly? She's like, how, like, she'd, how poor? And be like, mom, not poor. Like, you know, I get to travel the land and do what I love. And she used to tell me, well, it makes you happy, my girl. Like at the last years of her age, she like, she taught me so much, especially around reconciliation and what it meant to her. Um, even how to say I love you out loud or in Chin was like really beautiful. And yeah, she taught me about patience too and kindness.
Bobby, I want to take us back for a moment to March of 2020 when our tourism cohort was gathered in Iqaluit. And 
we were just starting to hear some rumblings about this thing called COVID, right? And then we all go back home and almost immediately, like I think maybe 48 hours afterwards, the world went into lockdown. That was nuts. I should have listened to David Suzuki. Like a couple of weeks before going to Nunavut, I spent some time with David Suzuki. And he had a mask on and he said, like, you know, what's happening over there? It's going to be happening here soon. But, oh, my gosh, when that happened. You were just right ready to be launching Dinjiju Adventures. Yeah. Yeah, we were like all of us, we were just like determined and motivated and like, you know, we're all hyped up to like launch our businesses and then like COVID hit and we were like, oh no. So, but something happened, Bobby. I don't know. Like, I know it wasn't easy, but something happened in that year of COVID for you. And I felt like you were busy behind the scenes working and problem solving and getting your shit in order Mm -hmm. so that you could finally launch this business and launch it at a time when things were still not fully open. It It is not an ideal time to launch a business. But you made a call, and one day you pressed enter, and the Jinjiju website was published, and it was out there in the world. (sighs) And we were like, what? This is so crazy. Like, who launches a tourism business at this time in the world? Well, you know... uh... My business at the beginning, Dinjiju Adventures at the beginning, was focused on guests that are coming into the north. Right, like to- like tourists coming from Europe, other parts of Canada, yeah. North America, yeah. Yeah, so in the time that um, I got to, like, you know, actually stay in one place for a long period of time and think of and see everything around me, I came to realize that, you know, I want to do, I want to do trips for communities and for youth and for organizations and for the North. I've been on, I've been on a lot of like canoe trips or river trips, like prior, even during COVID, you know, like that summer, like I got right, I remember. Three, I got on three canoe trips, like who would have done that? Me. <laughs> but, <laughs> You know, yeah, during the time, it, I think it just brought me to back to where I wanted to be because ultimately, going back to who I am and where I come from, one of the most important things that my family done is bring community out on the land. We know that it builds a relationship and connection between the individual and the land, and it opens their eyes and their hearts to, you know, what they can do and what they can become. Uh, just like myself, as an example, um, and my other peers that I grew up with, Dinjiju Adventures, I'm hoping that, you know, uh, through these experiences that it helps a person grow. And living in the North, you know, 
in COVID times, you can't travel around the world. So what is like best is to travel in your backyard and to travel by river. And because there's not too much like um, experiences like this, I think it's just a unique opportunity. So right now, your main clients are Indigenous communities, local Northern organizations, um, and youth trips. Knowing that just because you live in the North and, and maybe you live in a small community doesn't mean that you've ever had the opportunity to get out on the water and, and learn how to paddle. And it's a healing experience. It's a leadership and growth experience. I think that's really quite beautiful that COVID allowed you to get some more clarity on where you want to be prioritizing your business and your time. Yeah, I really feel like the land itself can be so empowering and to see young people out on the land and for them to like see the land, the world in a different view by the time they're done the trip or see that this the strength and confidence that they have in themselves is amazing um for the people who've been reaching out and wanting to do trips is like mind-blowing like and through all of this and these amazing developments, you've been really vocal about your partnership and the work that you've done with Joel Hibbard, who is a guide and outfitter for Nahani River Adventures in the Yukon. And I'm really curious about that relationship and how it started because Joel sounds like one of the most important people in your life. I met with a few tourism operators in the Yukon and well, in the North. Uh, this was when you were ready to start guiding, like, Hey, I'm open for business. I'm, I'm ready to take groups out on tours. Yes. I was like a really new uh, guide. I, well, I did a couple of trips prior, but I wanted to um, learn more and go on other rivers in the North. So I did my research and found like, you know, the top three, best uh, tourism businesses in the north that uh, went on multiple different rivers and out of the three the last person to meet was Joel and you know I asked him why he wants to hire me like what is, what's in it for me and one of the important things is like you know I did a lot on the Peel watershed court case and how do you feel about that? And like, what does that, um, I'm hoping that, you know, as companies not, you know, investing in other offshore, like, or, you know, investing in companies that drill into like the Peel or other places. And the last question was, you know, how do you feel about me wanting to start a business in the future? And I, I felt like a, kind of a hesitant from the other owners that I interviewed. But Joel, he is like, you know, okay. Okay, you can work around that when, whenever you're ready. And uh, he, his values, his 
uh, business values really aligned with mine and I just told him I, I don't fuck around and I don't bullshit and I'm going to be taking this really like seriously and I want to make sure that I'm priority as a guide to go on any trips into the peel and I want to make sure that when I want to travel to other rivers like I want to make sure that I go on them like you know I want to learn as much as I can and I think he he'd done that and when I got into the entrepreneur program, he was really supportive. And during COVID, he, when I was like, you know, I don't want to start a business now because the COVID and I was feeling really down, but he was like the one who inspired me, like, let's keep on going. And he's like, I'll help you and I'll support you. I'll be your mentor. And yeah, I think it's just having those conversations and getting to know each other. Uh, we, we we speak truthfully, you know, I we talk about reconciliation and what that means and the truth. We talk about history. Like, I think it's really great because, you know, if if I, I feel like if I went to a different non-Indigenous person and told, who's also running like an outfitting company and told them, you know, I want to start a business in the tourism sector on these different rivers and it's going to be the bomb.com and i think that they would feel you know hesitant or they would feel like oh well i don't want you to work for me or uh, threatened right i'm gonna take that like you know start that business and i'm gonna run it for you instead joel is mentoring me and like letting me learn and grow yes given me a lot of opportunity and I'm getting to know how to the inside and outsides of running a business and it being a team leader and he's pretty unique. I'm really thankful for him and his family. Mm, that's beautiful for, for both of you. There's that reciprocity and that mutual respect. And Joel is, is a seasoned guide. And then what you also bring to the table is that ancestral knowledge and that wisdom that you have from your community and from your family. And it's interesting to, to think back to what you had said about your grandmother talking to you a lot about reconciliation in those last years of her life and then you doing this work today. And having Joel as, as a support and as a mentor and you are the guide who is taking community members and youth out on the water and offering those experiences for them. As we're, you know, we're in 2022, it's a new year. Where are you thinking you want things to go with Dinjiju this year and into the future? <laughs> I love that laugh so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh one of my goals for Dinjiju Adventures is to hire more local northern guides right because there aren't they're just I mean there are non-indigenous guides who are operating in the north for sure but you're talking about northern indigenous guides who are certified and who are leading trips that's what you want to be seeing 
I see so much potential in the North for Indigenous guides. And if you've been listening to the whole podcast, Indigenous people have the tools and techniques and knowledge and like the heart to be guides. And like, you know, I all I needed was my safety certifications and experiences to do these trips. And I work with a youth organization here in the North. And I, yeah, I just see young people who are so inspiring and so smart and knowledgeable. And um, I'm hoping that, you know, Dinjuju Adventures uh, in the future that we can uplift and hire um, Indigenous guides to be on river trips and leading them. I applied with a, a young team, an Indigenous team, and I uh, applied for the Arctic Inspiration Prize to do an Indigenous river, Indigenous youth river guide training in 2022. It's six weeks altogether, four weeks in and around white bears and two weeks on the Wind River, Wind River and uh, I'm just hoping uh, and praying to Tikoada that that can happen because I think it will change to North. I'm hoping that Dindiju Adventures can do a few trips. Uh, I know because of COVID, um, there might be a couple of trips canceled. Maybe, hopefully not, because I might have some guests from outside the country uh, coming to do a trip with me. Um, probably who have been waiting their whole freaking lives <laughs> to go on <laughs> on this trip with you but at least if if those trips have to get pushed back we know that there are a ton of of folks locally who are keen and i would bet you've got youth reaching out to you now saying hey i want to get in on this guiding and paddling thing hey yeah, the whole team for the Arctic Inspiration Prize uh, proposal, actually each of them reached out to me and was like, where can we get funding to take this guide training? Um, how can I get funding to get recertified? And like, you know, asking those kind of questions. And I was like, you know, I never thought I was going to apply for the AIP or help apply for the AIP, but when youth are reaching out and wanting something like that and wanting to go back to the land, I think it's so important to sit down and bring together people and like do something beautiful. It's so much work. Oh, I hear putting together the Arctic Inspiration Prize application is bananas. <laughs> like weeks. Oh my gosh, yes. But, but the potential is so massive and i just want to say bobby rose whatever happens with the aip i i feel like this indigenous youth guiding training is going to happen either way oh yeah i'll make it happen mm. yeah with the people i know network and yeah connection i don't think yeah oh yeah it's just like, you know, when I think of river guiding, you know, I'm going to give you an example of what I do in my life. Um, since I got all my certifications, 
it has opened the door for me to different work that I never thought I would be able to do. Um, besides running a biz, besides running Denjuju Adventures, um, uh, where I spend majority of the summer on running river trips in the north, which is like three or four. Trips. You can do about three or four a summer, hey? Yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're really lucky and if you're like willing to and you're really like, you know, I love doing that. It's my vacation. Yeah, you'll do like back to back, hey? Yes. It's it's yeah, really fun. And it's hard work, but you know, it's not hard work when you love something. And then the rest of the year, uh earlier this year, I started working for the Western Arctic Youth Collective and we do youth programming in the north by the North and by youth. Um, and that's been running really well. And then when I'm not doing that, I also do uh, guided tours uh, for different organizations or businesses. And that's literally how I live. And not to say that I've been doing that my whole life because like, you know, I like struggled and I went through hard time and trying to navigate what this world has for me or what I'm meant to do. And, but it's like this past year and a half since COVID started really um, opened my eyes to what I can do. And one thing that um, I wanna make sure for the future is giving people time and space to just sit in, sit in the now and yeah. Right like be paddling and be moving, but also have those moments of just stillness. You know, every trip, somebody is always asking me, how far are we? How far are we? Or like, where are we now? And I always say, we're closer than we ever were before today now. Yeah, so. And that's on your homepage of your website. Mm -hmm. Cool. I had, when I read it, I had a different meaning idea of what that meant. I thought it meant like, if you've wanted this experience, you are closer than you've ever been to having it because Dingy Zhu adventures can take you there. But now I understand what you're talking about. It's like, where are we? We are right here right now. And we're closer to the final destination than we were two hours ago when you asked me, where are we now? Yeah, I I done a trip with a I done a trip this past summer and it was on these youths uh, traditional territory their home and one of them kept on well multiple ask multiple multiple of them asked me you know every day for RV and I always told them that you know we're closer than we're you were you're closer to home than you ever were before. And then they got home and two weeks later, one of them messaged me and, you know, Bobby, I really understand and know what that means now. I think it's beautiful part. I don't know how to explain it because you're finding yourself more and more each day. And if you get to know yourself and know where you're going and know what you need to do, you are closer to where you are than you ever were before. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so no matter how far I am away from like, you know, like the Peel watershed or like my dad or my grandma, mama, 
or fourth McPherson, no matter where I am, they're always here with me. And they're closer to me than I ever were. Even when I close my eyes, like a picture, places that I've been or sitting with them and, you know, it's that relationship and connection that keeps us moving forward. Doesn't Bobby have an amazing talent for storytelling? I could just listen to her all day and I can imagine how special it would be to spend a week or two in a canoe with her on the peel. So if you want to get in touch with Bobby, if you've been thinking about maybe booking a once in a lifetime trip, she's really active on social media and she's got a great website with lots of information. That's Dingy Zhu. Dot com, and I'm going to drop it in the show notes. I also want to take a moment to remember another incredible, strong Gwich'in leader, Christine McLeod from Inuvik, who was the Gwich'in Tribal Council Deputy Grand Chief. In August of 2021, Christine tragically passed away at the age of 38. She was a bright light who was deeply loved and respected. And she was a really powerful example of what Indigenous women are capable of. So we wanted to dedicate this episode to Christine. On another note, we want to hear all your feedback on this first season of Venture Out. We're going to be taking the next few months to prep for season two and we wanted to incorporate your genius insights. So tell us what worked, what you would like less of, more of, who you would like to hear profiled on season two, all that good stuff. So if you go to entrepreneurth.ca, you'll see a short listener survey on our homepage. And those of you who fill it out will be entered to win some incredible prizes from Northern Indigenous businesses. They're really, really great. Venture Out's production team includes myself, co-producer Travis Mercredi, who has been with me from the very beginning, and our amazing lead researcher, Jess Duncan. Our theme song is called Fires Across the Tundra, and it's by Denenday's Leela Gilday. Today, you also heard Leela's track called Space. You can find Venture Out on all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. So please reach out on Entrepreneurs Instagram and Facebook, or you could send us an email to podcast at entrepreneurth.ca. See you for season two. We are fire.